So um, I'm not sacrificing half the text and just skimming over it. Um, but that's, that's not the goal. I just want everyone to know that that is something I'm going to try to allow myself. Um, 2 Timothy is a letter, it's the second epistle of Paul, written to Timothy. Timothy was one of Paul's disciples. It's a very common relationship. It's a relationship that many of us are familiar with. Um, the context of this, this letter is extremely important when you consider everything that he's saying. Um, in many of the letters, we see Paul giving instruction to different churches and to different people, providing them with instruction. Here is how you do this. In 1 Timothy, you see, Timothy, you're starting this church. You're helping this church in Ephesus. Here is how you find leaders. Here is how you find qualified individuals. You see him giving instruction, but in 2 Timothy, you see a very different approach by Paul. Instead of instruction, Paul is simply seeking to remind Timothy of things. How often do we need to be reminded of things that we already know but yet it seems we may have forgotten. Parents, think about your children. How many times have you told them the same thing? Do you ever have to tell them just once? Or does it, is it repeated constantly, over and over? I find myself getting frustrated with my son Benjamin because I say, I've told you this so many times. Now he's still at the age where maybe he doesn't actually understand. I don't know, he's a pretty intelligent kid. But... For many of us, your kids are 10, 12, 16, uh, 70, doesn't really matter. You have to constantly be reminded of the things that we already know. You're not providing new instruction, but you're reminding them of things that you've already taught them. And what we find is Paul writing this letter to Timothy simply to encourage and to remind him. We see in 1 Timothy there's a very different set of circumstances for Paul. Um, it's very different than in the second epistle. At this time, he is now in a Roman prison. He's writing to Timothy what we now know as time has gone by as basically Paul's last words. Shortly after this letter, Paul will be killed for his faith. These are Paul's last words to Timothy. So if these are his last words, I would assume that that would mean Paul found them to be fairly important for Timothy to hear to understand, and to receive them. At his earlier imprisonment, Paul was, it was more of a house arrest situation. It wasn't such a firm arrest and being shackled. So it still allowed Paul the opportunity to interact with people, to minister to other people, gave him more of a freedom. But what we see with this imprisonment, why it's so different, is Paul is stuck in a prison. He's not having heavy interaction with other people. You see that Paul, throughout the tone of this letter, shows that he does not have a hope of being released. Um, flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. We see this. He says, starting in verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and at the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I, um, you know, for ministers and many church leaders, it can even be hard even when things are going really well, just because you're, you're toiling, you're laboring, you're doing a lot of things. But Timothy's in a place where ungodliness is pretty full. There's a rampant heresy and apostasy, people um, disclaiming who Jesus was, that he's not the Son of God. All of the things that you would think would be foundational to a church and to a place is not found here. 
Timothy, the same person that in Paul's last letter, Paul said, stay here, help these people, be an example. You show them how to be a follower of Christ. Don't let them look down on you because you're young. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 4, don't let them look down on you because you're young. You show them how to be the example. And then just a few short laters, um, it's about 67 AD at this time, Paul is giving him encouragement because he senses that Timothy is falling under this enormous weight, that he's having a hard time, that there's a lot of hardship confronting not only Timothy but these other leaders, that they've actually been growing weaker and weaker. You know, it's ironic that Paul is writing from his circumstance to encourage another person. Um, we would assume that Paul, being the one imprisoned, would be the one that should be getting letters saying, Hey, Paul, you need some encouragement right now. You're sitting in prison. But yet, Paul, understanding his present suffering, says, No, there's something more important right now. I need to encourage this young man because he's leading this church and he needs that encouragement. Before we get into our text and go through it. Let's start with a little bit of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for another chance to open up your word that we're able to see a wonderful example of a man in Paul who is um, just not so concerned with his present suffering that he can't encourage a young believer, a young leader, that he's so set on encouraging a disciple of his. God, thank you for his wonderful example. Thank you for this encouragement. God, I just pray that this morning, even though we'll, we'll see some things that we know are very familiar, we just pray that we would be reminded of it and that, that it would be something that while we're reminded, it's something that we would never again forget. Just pray that you would be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You notice that he addresses Timothy as my son. Now, we know that it's not his actual child, but think about that relationship of Paul and Timothy, this wonderful young boy who is mentored by Paul. Can you imagine? Just selfishly, I try to imagine as a young person, what if Paul was my mentor? You know, like, oh, who's your mentor? And you name a couple people, and you're like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. You're going down the line and get to Timothy, and Tim they say, Timothy, who mentored you? <laughs> well, the apostle Paul did, actually. Can you imagine? That's like, yep, got it. Can't beat that. But Paul says, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, Timothy, be strong in your training, be strong in your charisma and how much people like you, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is our strength. Again, keep in mind, Timothy is coming under enormous weight and pressure and strife at this time. The place where he's ministering to is not very friendly. It's not completely open. It's not um, what you would call a holy place. Um, it'd be simple to equate Ephesus with our current day Las Vegas, if you will. Okay? Just very plainly, it's a very similar idea. Verse 2, and I love this, and this is one that I kind of want to stay here for about three hours, but I won't. Um, it says, and the things that thou hast heard me, oh, sorry, my things, heard me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I love this verse because if there's ever going to be a call or a command to disciple someone else, 
There it is right there. The things that I have shown you and taught you and told you entrust these same things to faithful, reliable men. You need to be doing the same thing I just did with you. You do that for someone else. It's an idea that all of us understand. We all agree. We all believe it and would say, yes, we definitely need to do it. But how often do we fail to do this? Do we take the things that we've learned and we've been taught and fail to instill it in someone other than ourselves or to someone younger? You know, a lot of the the downfalls of churches is that we have men and women in churches who are adults and who have this wonderful wealth of knowledge and this strong faith, but yet they feel inadequate to teach someone younger than themselves, to instill that and to impart their wisdom and the things that they've learned into people who are younger. Because they say, well, I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm not this or that. And there's all these other excuses. But you know what you are? You're a faithful follower of Christ. You've lived a life. You've endured hardship. You have life experience. And coming from me, who was 16 and 17, not that long ago, that's what I need. I'm not only interested in studying, um, studying the Bible and breaking down the text and looking at Greek and doing all these extra things that you would associate with what a biblical scholar would do. As a young man, I needed to learn how to live like Christ as a man and simply as a young person. Those of us who have walked with Christ for 20, 30 years, you are so capable of instilling that in someone younger than yourself. We have a responsibility to impart these things to younger people. Now remember, Paul was not always a follower of Christ. Any of us who know the background of Paul, he was a terrible guy for a long time. But once Christ got a hold of his heart, he found God, he learned who he was, he did everything he could to share that with other people. He instructs Timothy. He writes these letters to churches. He has not been a believer for that long. But he understands that God has commanded him to do something, and he's going to obey that. And notice that it says, Entrust, commit these things to faithful men. It doesn't say the smartest men. It doesn't say uh, the richest men. It doesn't say the, the best-looking men. Find the popular men, the good-looking ones, the ones that can do all these things but faithful men. It's the only requirement, is that we be faithful. It's not about skill. God will do the equipping if we are faithful and if we are willing. Moving down, verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. Paul is telling Timothy to endure hardness. Now again, remember Paul's context here. Paul is in prison He's sitting in prison, understanding suffering. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He knows he's coming at the end of his life. He is also saying, endure hardness. This isn't coming from an individual who has never experienced suffering or pain or anguish or anything. He knows what it's like. He's saying, Timothy, endure these things as a good soldier of Christ. He'll continue on with this idea of a soldier in verse 4. And in these next three verses, we're going to see three different uh, metaphors or examples of how how this plays out. In verse 4, it says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Saying, no soldier gets caught up in civilian pursuits. Soldier isn't worried about those things. He simply 
going to follow the orders of him who gives the orders, following the orders of his captain. If someone is a soldier, he does everything that his superior officer tells him to. Okay? Some of you who have served in the military or have been a soldier, one, I highly respect you and we're incredibly thankful for that because that takes something incredibly special to be able to do that, something I'm not completely sure I could do. But we see this idea of a soldier in that relationship. God's given us commands, things to worry about, things that we're supposed to be doing, missions, tasks, objectives. But how often do we get caught up in what would be a civilian pursuit, things that aren't even part of what God's entitled us to be doing or commanded us to? We look at the things and say, oh, these are the things that are really weighing me down. I can't minister effectively because, and then we list a whole list of things that have nothing to do with our mission. In verse 5, in case that example isn't enough, verse 5, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is, not, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. It's the example of an athlete who, even though he might win, he has to follow the rules as well. Um, this is the, one of the three examples that sticks out to me because I'm not a soldier, and as we'll see later, the example of a farmer. I have no idea how to farm. Never done a day in my life. Probably never will. But some of you understand that relationship pretty well. Some of you, again, being a soldier, you understand that example. For me, the idea of an athlete, if I'm running a race, running around the track, there's eight of us lined up, they shoot the gun, everyone goes off, and I just cut across the field to the other half of the track, okay? Can you imagine? One, I'm really fast, so it would just seem like that anyways. But you have, I'm not sure why you guys are laughing. It's kind of rude, but it's okay. But you have your track, okay? Everyone else, we're going this way, and we're going to go in this big old oval shape, because that's what it is, not a circle. Gun goes off, and I'm like, ah, go over here. Run all the way across the grass. Now I'm already halfway through, okay? That's cheating. I'm going to get across the tape. I'm going to break the tape. Number one, y'all are terrible. You're slow. That's probably what I'm going to say, okay? But did I win? No, I didn't follow the rules. No one is going to give me a prize because I did not follow the rules. See, God's given us a mission we know we're supposed to run a race. We know that there's a prize. But if we don't do it by his rules, do we attain the prize? Because, you see, when you look at it, all of us who are believers, we're on God's team. It means we play by God's rules. And if we're not following God's rules, I'd suggest that we're not even on the team. We have to maintain the integrity of the race that we're running. Verse 6 says, The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. So again, the, this illustration of a farmer. How can we harvest something if we've not put in the work? You see, I can't harvest a field that I have not planted anything in or watered. That would be like for me to dress up like a farmer to buy a tractor, and to just drive around for a while looking for a harvest. 
you guys would ask, what are you doing? I'd say, I'm looking for a harvest. Well, where's your field? I don't have a field. Do I need a field? You see, I hadn't done anything to that point. How can I harvest if I haven't labored? Think about those of you who farm or those of you who have great knowledge of it. Think about how much work it takes for the farmer before he ever gets to see any bit of a harvest. That job takes incredible patience, incredible perseverance. And much like Timothy, who's trying to minister to these people who who just can't seem to figure it out, who are doing all of these things that are exactly the opposite of what he's instructed them, of what God wants them to do. He's looking at it saying, this seems like a lost cause. I'm feeling beat down. I'm doing all of this work, and I'm not seeing any fruit. But much like the farmer, he's planting, he's watering, he's doing all this work. How long does it take him to see a harvest? You see, as we try to minister to each other, those of us who, who are actively ministering to other people, we have to be comfortable, too, with never seeing the harvest. That was the hardest lesson for me as a young person getting involved with youth ministry a couple years ago, was I spend all this time with a couple kids, and at the end, they leave the youth group maybe after three or four years. I don't see a harvest they came in unsaved, they were hungry, they were seeking to learn, but at the end they leave never having accepted Christ. That was hard for me. I want the harvest, I want the fruit. I've been out there planting all this stuff, I want to eat it, right? But we have to understand that our job is not always to be the ones who get the harvest. But all of our job is to labor. Everyone who is a believer, your job, your command is to labor. I want to say it again because I think it's incredibly important. All of us have the command to labor. Doesn't matter if we get the harvest. Doesn't matter if we get to see the fruit. Someone else might get to see that delicious fruit that you did all the work for. But why do we labor? Is it so that we can, we can receive the fruit? Or is it so that individual can come to a saving faith of who Jesus Christ is and they have the fruit? God gets the glory whether we see the fruit or not. And that is what Paul is doing. He's saying, Timothy, we have to labor to see the fruit. Verse 7 uh, says, Consider what I say, and the Lord will give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel? See, I love it. He just go, jumps right into verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ... Again, we're seeing Paul get this perspective, giving him the big picture, reminding him again why he does everything that he does, reminding Timothy of the goal at hand, telling him to remain faithful because of the picture, why he is doing it. Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Verse 9, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Paul was suffering as a man who did evil things, but yet all he did was good. What was his crime? Being a minister of the gospel. So why would it come as a surprise to us that good men would meet evil things on this world? 
you know, a lot of times it's easy to look at American church and say, well, the American church doesn't understand suffering as much as other places. And that's true. Because you go to other churches, whether it's in Asia or Africa or South America, we see the things that are happening in the Middle East right now. Um, if there's never, not a better time to look at suffering, just flip on the news right now. We say Christians today don't suffer for, for the name of Christ. It's absolutely untrue. It may not happen right here. It may not happen directly in our context and where we're at. But when we think of only America as the world... Then we don't understand suffering. But you flip on the news, I'm sure today there's going to be a dozen more Christians either being killed, beheaded, or burned. You want to talk about suffering? It still happens. It's never stopped. And Paul is in prison. This is shortly after Nero just set fire to Rome, his own city, and then blamed the Christians for it. How many people die and died in that fire? Think about the things that he was going through. Think about, in this context, him telling Timothy about suffering. Do you think Timothy understood what suffering was? Timothy knows suffering. And it may not have even been, uh, it probably could have been worse than what he's going through right now at the church because of things that he knows and the people that he knew before. But Paul in verse 9 is saying, I'm suffering for the gospel as an evildoer, even to the point of being chained. But the word of God is not bound. I love the end of verse 9 saying, basically, even though I'm in chains, the word of God is not. They can chain me up. They can throw me in prison. But they can't put chains on the gospel. The word of God is out there. They can't undo the ministry work that I've done. How powerful is it? Because do we think about that? We say, well, I don't want to get caught doing this because then I can't minister effectively. If we ever get to a point in this country where it's illegal to be a believer of Christ, are we going to conceal it? Are we going to keep our faith strictly personal within our own family? Or are we going to branch out, take that risk? Yeah, I might be imprisoned. But from, from everything that we know from the Bible, all the disciples were killed. Paul was killed. Christ was killed. But yeah, we tend to expect something very, very different. We expect comfort. It just doesn't make sense. And the Bible never gives you the idea that it's going, it should be comfortable. All the time. Endure suffering. Expect it. But endure it. Because we're keeping in mind the reason that we suffer. In verse 10 Paul gives us this wonderful example of why he suffers. Again, he's reminding Timothy, a man who's coming under all of this weight, all of this pressure, all of this suffering that he's enduring, needing to be strengthened and encouraged. A man who is in prison telling me that I can be encouraged and to endure suffering, I think that's going to work. It's going to encourage me personally. In verse 10, Paul says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He endures all things for the sake of the elect because the salvation of others was more important than his present suffering. Think about that. 
Others coming to Christ was more important than him being beaten or thrown in prison. Do we have a perspective like that? And we could say partially he had this perspective because that was part of his context. That's, that's what he grew to know. But think of how many Christians now, and again, getting outside the idea of just America as the world, looking in the Middle East, these are Christians who are being killed for their faith constantly. And it's not just adults, it's children as well. That's suffering but they're not backing down from it. They're saying, this is more important because I'm focused on heaven. I am focused on the next life. This life is simply here for me to bring as many people to Christ as I can. That's their perspective. That's Paul's perspective. He says, I endure these things so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. He's reminding Timothy of the big picture the future state, this eternal glory of being in heaven with Christ. This is why I do these things. Paul doesn't do it because he just enjoys preaching. Paul's not doing it because he's having fun. Paul is doing it because he understands what is at stake. He's doing it because the salvation of other people is more important than some discomfort in this life. But it's so hard for us to understand that because... For some of us, we've never been confronted with that. And I'm not saying that we have to experience this life or death situation where someone is threatening to kill you because of your faith. You don't have to go through that to understand that we have to endure suffering, that we have to, we just have to acknowledge that these things do happen. We, if, if we live in light of this truth that we can endure these things because we're keeping the goal in mind, how many of you would gladly sit in jail so that your child wouldn't have to? You know, I look at my son, and if he does something incredibly stupid, which he will, I understand. But if I can serve that punishment for him in some way, everything inside of me is going to want to do that. I wouldn't want him to endure suffering that I could do myself. That's just how I feel. I'm not going to make my son go through something that I, where I could take his place. Because I love my son because I know what's at stake. And if I am protecting him and saving him, I can probably rest a little more comfortable in a jail cell because I know why I'm there. I'm there for my son. I'm protecting him. I understand the big picture. When things are hard, I know why I do it. In a little smaller scale, um, with smaller children, obviously now this is part of our lives, but when, um, when my wife's up all the time during the night with Maddie, um, you know, it's hard. She's tired all the time. It's really hard on her. Any, of, any moms and dads, we all understand it. But it's a little easier when you understand and you know and remind yourself why you're doing those things. Why am I waking up with my child every night in the middle of the night? Why am I doing all these things? Why am I taking my kid to all of these things? I'm driving all over the, the state, all over the country to do these things. Why am I investing so much? Because I love my kid. The reason I'm doing these things, make it worth it. It's hard. Maybe not to the point of suffering, but it's hard. 
Because, but you know the end goal. You know the reasons why you're doing these things. And that's what Paul is saying. Saying, I do these things so that others can come to salvation in Christ. That's why he would endure suffering. And then verses 11 through 13, um, read through this as we close. But he says, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Even in there, Paul is saying, if we deny him, he will also deny us. This saying, we acknowledge that those who deny Christ, the Father will deny him. Do we keep that perspective? We talk about suffering in this life, um, but as a believer, this is the closest to hell that I'm ever going to be. And I have confidence in that. I can rest and hope in that. That when I die, I get to reign with Christ in heaven because I've believed in him and I know that he is faithful to his promises and and his grace. But if we don't know him, then he does not know us. And he is also faithful in his promise to condemn those that do not know him. Paul understands this perspective. Timothy understands this perspective. I would dare to say that all of us understand what's at stake here. But do we actively live in light of what is at stake? Paul is suffering all these things because he knows what's at stake, and he's burdened by that. He wants others to come to know Christ because he knows what is at stake. He knows that Christ was sent from heaven, God's Son, and died for us, for our sins, but was risen from the dead. He mentions it all throughout all of his letters, but again in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Remember why you're doing this, Timothy. Remember why you're a minister of the gospel. Remember why you're there in Ephesus ministering to these people. God is so faithful even when we suffer. He's always promised to be faithful. Our actions, our responses, our views of things do not change that God is not faithful. He's always faithful whether we acknowledge it or not. He remains unchanged by everything that we do. He is always true. He is always faithful. And it's a wonderful reminder to Timothy. And I think it's encouraging to Timothy. And again, Paul had to have gotten a sense that Timothy needed this encouragement. What would it have meant when you were going through a time of suffering for someone to come along and encourage you? Some of us have people who come alongside and encourage us And it's incredibly helpful. And some of us may not have that encouragement. Think about what it would have meant had someone encouraged you. And then if you had been encouraged, think about how incredible that encouragement was. Timothy had Paul to be encouraged by. Paul encouraged Timothy, acknowledging that he was weak. He was growing weaker. He was struggling. He was having a hard time. But Paul sought to strengthen him and to encourage him. And as a body of believers, that is another thing that we are supposed to do. We are called to encourage one another. A lot of us know about other ways that um, some of us are suffering. We know that we endure suffering. We know that these things are happening. But do we take the time to encourage each other? Paul's sitting in prison knowing his life 
is coming to an end, but he takes the time to write a letter to one of his disciples to encourage them to continue to fight the good fight, to remind him why he's doing what he's doing. And I just hope that that's something that we would all be able to do for each other as well. But again, just remember the reasons that we suffer. Remember why Paul suffered for God's glory and so that others would find salvation in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we just thank you that we have your word, that we're able to see encouragement from, from Paul. God, I just thank you that you've given us this, this wonderful message of who you are, that you always remain faithful. God, I pray that we would be able to remain faithful to you as well. We thank you that Paul found a way to encourage Timothy, that he knew that Timothy was having a hard time ministering in his context, that things were weighing him down, things were getting hard. He was trying to be effective, but he was having a hard time. And I thank you that Paul simply sought to remind him what a great reminder it is to know why it is that we might suffer, why we might endure hardship. God, we're in a battle, and you tell us this so often, but it's easy to forget when we get comfortable. We just thank you that you've you very well equipped us to fight in this battle, that you've given us each other to um, encourage one another to be able to fight in this battle, that even though Satan is like a lion, that we can, we can, we can fight him off, that we can encourage each other to do so. God, thank you for this wonderful encouragement. And we, we just pray that um, today and this week that we'd be able to encourage each other, that we would be reminded of Jesus Christ and reminded that salvation of others is so important. I just pray that that would be a burden on all of our hearts this week. God, we just love you and we thank you. Amen.